Thurman, where's Thurman at? Did he leave? Come over here, Thurman. Let's visit a little bit. And then when we get ready to preach, you can just walk up here. Since Tommy in here, we can do what we want to do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and what's been going on in your life? You've got a whole bunch of tapes done today. Oh, yeah. We recorded uh, 10 30-minute shows today. Did you really? Yes, sir. We recorded 10, and we had a great day. And uh, uh, we got That's up five early. hours. Do you realize that? Yes, sir. What did my uh, crew say to you? <laughs> well, he told me that it was a record. Uh, it, he he I said he'd never, is. since he had been here, or Ricky said that he, since he had been here, he had never seen anybody do that many 30-minute shows in one day. That's right. So but we were just going. I was teaching on the anointing of God and how to walk in the anointing of God. And that's what I was teaching on. And uh, I know so many people, uh, at least back in the Dallas area and all the people that call in from all over, they want to know how I do what I do. And I tell them, well, it's open to everybody. You know, it's it's a free gift from God, but it's, it requires a lot of time with the King, spending time with Him, and uh, you know, praying and fasting and all these things and things that most of us are not willing to do. But I didn't know they were available. I didn't do those things, being raised up in a denominational church, because nobody even told me it was available. So I just. I guess by divine appointment, found these things in the Word of God. Amen. And by finding them in here, I thought, well, Lord, if this is all true, then I've missed a whole lot. And so I began to do what the Lord told me to do. And Wasn't it a shame that you waited until you got gray hair to find that? <clears throat> yes, sir. I, I, I am, I'm so sorry that That's the way it, it is took with me all so of long, us. You know, you know to the truth. Out. I don't know if I would name the, the, this 10-year decade... I call it the decade of truth being revealed. Mm-hmm. Isn't that about when it happened to you? Well, uh, it, it really started happening to me uh, in 1977. Did it really? Yeah, that's when it started. And uh, the way it started, of course, was I was a traditional denominational person, but I went to church every time the doors opened. I loved God, and I was a deacon, a Baptist, I'm a Sunday school teacher, everything. And I loved the Lord, but I had no idea what was available. But I guess, since I had been studying the Word so diligently to teach a Bible study class for about ten years, all of a sudden, one night, he just walked in and spoke to me. I mean, audibly, I heard the king talk to me. And he told me what he wanted me to do. And it, it just totally fired me up. I just I didn't realize how real he was. That he was really real. I mean, I knew he was real, but I didn't realize how real, real. and how personal he could be. But after he spoke to me that night... He started speaking to me about every two years, you know, and now then they get much closer together. And maybe tonight I'll share some of those experiences I've had with the Lord just recently. Some awesome things. Uh, Are you going out across the country speaking in places? <clears throat> yes, sir. Yes, sir. We go anywhere, anywhere, anywhere that people uh, will want us to come. Have you been out here in New Mexico, West Texas area anywhere? Uh, yes, I have a few places. In fact, uh uh, it's been a while. I guess it's been about a year since I was out here but in this area. But uh, you're ready to come back? If uh, you oh yeah. And, I mean, you know, we've we've gone all over. We're fixing to go uh, this next weekend. We're going the other way in East Texas, and then a, a couple of weeks after that, we're going uh, to uh, I forget where that is down close to yeah Port Lavaca. We're going to be speaking in Port Lavaca, uh, but I try to keep everything in my speaking engagements during the week. Because I don't like to be gone from my home church on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And so I try to speak and teach these healing schools during the week or on a Friday and a Saturday where I can get back home for they church on Sunday. understanding letting you be shared with the world? 
your congregation? Oh yeah, yeah. They well, they I, the reason I don't like to go away on Sunday is because on Sunday or the Saturday I have two healing schools in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. One at our church on the second Saturday of every month, and then one out in the Justin area, the fourth Saturday of every month. And so I have people come from everywhere there. I mean, all over the United States, I have people come to that. And uh, uh, on my in my church in, on Sunday, I have people come from out of town. You know, I mean, the other day I was out of town. I missed a Sunday. I hated it, but I had to miss one Sunday. And when I missed that Sunday, I had people come from Florida for the service on Sunday. Well, you hate it when you're out of town. Mm-hmm. They come to be prayed for and to hear the word. And so we had people from Oklahoma. So we, we have... We've got to where we have several people come from out here now. I mean, since we've been on television out here, I've had many people drive from out here all over New Mexico, Arizona. Yeah, I got lots of letters saying they went down to your place. Yeah, and and they got healed. In fact, That's tonight, right. a, I didn't know this, but I walked up over here a while ago and introduced myself to one of the couples and their daughter that's sitting over here and shook the gentleman's hand and shook the lady's hand, and she said, we love you. And I don't even know who she is. But she said, we love you because I got healed listening to your tapes. Glory yeah. to God. Yeah, she got healed. And so doctors couldn't help her or nothing, but just sending her the video and audio tapes, she listened to them, and she's got healed. And she's so grateful. She said, I love you and your ministry. Well, really, she loves Jesus, but that's she's right. grateful that the Lord has given me that It doesn't hurt to revelation. love you guys a little bit, too. Yeah, yeah that's that, true. That so. keeps you encouraged and on the road. Yeah, in fact, the other day I came home, and uh, I had had a terrible day. Uh, really, I'd been working. We had a lot of stuff and all kinds of equipment that I have broke. And we tore up stuff, and we were doing some excavation, and we broke some electric lines. We broke some water lines. And then we're just getting ready to quit. And I thought, everything's gone wrong could go wrong. And we're finished. And I'm fixing to put tobacco up, or my nephew is. And he pulled it in the barn and raised the boom up and busted a main hydraulic hose on it as he raised the boom. I thought... I went over to the minister center, and I told Cheryl she'd been over all day. And she said, how's your day? And I said, I'm ready to hang it up. I'm, go- I'm just going to get rid of everything. I'm going to do away with it. I'm going to find me a little place out in the desert and just get me a little house and, and forget everything. She said, honey, let me read a couple of praise reports of people whose lives have been right. saved and changed through your ministry. And I sat down and listened to all that, and I said, Lord, I'm fired up. Let's go again. Amen. We're never going to quit. That's, That's the best thing about the mail. That's right. Some people say it's the checks. No, it's those letters. It's those letters, yeah. It's those letters. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. Well, I'm going to go over here and meet a couple of ladies. Okay. That's part of your bunch. Okay, yes. Now, these then, are two. These are my praise and worship team, and they're a little special to me. Why are they special? <laughs> because the one on the left over there, the most beautiful one, she's my wife. <laughs> and the one almost as beautiful as her is her daughter, standing beside her, so... They're kind of special. You know, I had to say the one on the left over there is the most beautiful, right? Because <laughs> she's my lovely bride that you, the Lord sent me. You have to me. keep out of trouble. I have to keep out of trouble. That's right. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. Let me have your microphone. I'll go over and meet them. Then we're going to, as soon as they finish preaching or singing, you'll be here sharing the word. Okay. Praise okay. the Lord. I don't think they preach, do they? Oh, yeah. My wife, she <laughs> preaches too. Praise the Lord. <laughs> okay, Tommy. This was your job. We want to talk through this one? Sure. You're doing such a good job. Tommy said you could do it all tonight. Oh. <laughs> well, what are you guys going to sing for us tonight? We're going to do a couple of songs that I wrote. We you just... do all your music that yes. you all have written, haven't you? Oh, yeah. 
Yes. Do you have a CDs or albums or anything? We have our first Christian CD. We just released it about a month ago. Ten song CD that you can get free. We send everything out from the uh, Living Savior Ministries free and postpaid. So that also includes our 10-song music CD. So when they put that address up there tonight, if they want it, that's all they're going to do, huh? That's it. And you just got married. I just got married. Very exciting. And uh, like I said, if you got married, what in the world are you doing out here, you know? (laughs) Because I have to come with Mom and Thurman. It's my job. That's your job. It's my new job. Does your husband understand that? He totally understands. He travels a lot, so it's okay that I travel a little bit, too. Okay. Well, that's good. Well, shall we uh, let you all go to singing, and we'll get Thurman up here to, to do the sharing? That'd be great. God bless you. How big is your Jesus? Mine gave me all power and authority over spirits in the heavens and on the earth. John 15, 7 is a guarantee in the world. When I abide in Him, Jesus, nothing is impossible with my King forever. His word is settled in heaven. Jesus made me the promises, so why not believe? Doubt not. With my heart, just read Mark 11, 23. Whatever I say and believe with my heart, I can have whatever I say when I pray. How big is your Jesus? Mind me the universe. How big is your Jesus? Mine gave me all power and authority on the spirits in the heavens and on the earth. He gave me a blank check in John 14, 13. His name, and he will do anything you'll see. The glory of God, my miracle is in my mouth, and in my heart, ask, believe, you'll receive. 
not lie or change. How big is your Jesus? Nothing is impossible with my King forever. His word is settled in heaven. How big is your Jesus? Mighty the universe. How big is your Jesus? Gave me all power and authority on the spirits in the heavens and on the earth. How big is your Jesus? How big, how big, how big is your Jesus? King of kings, Lord of lords, every knee bows, we have authority, my Jesus, how big is your Jesus, how big, how big, how big. Is your Jesus? How big, how big is your, is your Jesus? This song goes out to Todd Davenport. He's recovering in a rock wall from a tractor accident. And he's the inspiration for this song. Hi, Ty. God bless you. My daddy left me his will I only have to read it It's written in red, black, and white For all his children who believe in In my daddy's divine will There is no
to come over here a second before you leave the set. I've got something I want to say. Uh, Did you want to marry me? Yes. <laughs> I, want to, I want to tell that story. Oh, okay. Right now. It's amazing how this lovely woman had been without a husband for 24 years. Uh, I had been without a wife for a little over three years. My wife died in a car wreck uh, a little over three and a half years ago. And uh, I had never, ever planned to remarry under no conditions. I just wasn't going there. And I think Cheryl had decided the same thing. Uh, she had dated several men in her life, and she hadn't found one. She thought that was uh, what she wanted, obviously. A godly mate. A godly mate. Yes, yeah, she wanted a godly mate, and she hadn't found him. And so she just virtually quit dating men. She just wasn't going anywhere. Her daughter even asked her one day, said, Mom... Uh, you know, why don't you get married? And I really think Christy thought she's going to have to take care of Mama someday. <laughs> and I think that's what happened. But uh, she didn't plan to get married, and I didn't either. <clears throat> but this lev- lovely lady was healed in one of my healing schools about three years ago. She'd had a 30-year incurable problem, like many people. She came to the healing school and, and got healed. And so then she started coming to my church. Well, she was just a normal lady in the church. Uh, virtually never saw her other than just, I mean, she was there every Sunday or nearly every Sunday. But I didn't talk with her. But uh, on April the 26th of last year of 2004, she had a dream. And in the dream, 
the Lord showed her she was supposed to marry me, her pastor. And the next morning, he spoke to me, and I was laying there in bed, and he literally woke me up, and I turned, and when I turned over and I looked, I was looking at her just about this close, right in her face. And it's really startled me, because I saw this woman laying in my bed, and I knew I'd went to bed by myself. So anyway, I got up and went in the bathroom and washed my face, and I said, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? Is Cheryl supposed to work for me or what? And he said, no, son. Cheryl's going to be your wife. He spoke to me just as clear as a bell. I heard his voice just as clear. So now I don't know what I'm supposed to do, except he just told me that she's going to be my wife. Well, that was on Tuesday, the 27th of April, and that night we had Bible study, a two-hour Bible teaching. So I went to teach the Word of God, and I looked for her a little bit, but I didn't see her. And so I just went ahead and taught the Word of God a couple hours. And then after 9 o'clock, I prayed for people till about 10, 15. And then I turned and looked, and there she stood. And I asked her, I said, I didn't see you at Bible study tonight. She said, no, I was not here, but I was out ministering to another lady. And she said, I got in my car, and I thought, you know, I really want to go by the church. She said, Thurman will probably be there late. So she told me something later. She didn't tell me that night. She said, when I got in my car, I start my car, and I just out loud, I said, Lord, if I could be anywhere in the world, where would I want to be? And she said, right out of my mouth came these words, I want to be with Thurman. I miss him. Yeah, I miss him. Yeah, and, never had a date Never with had a date with him. We'd never touched, never held hands or nothing. So I asked her that night. Of course, she didn't tell me that then. But I asked her, I said, well... Uh, have you ever thought about working with me? And she said she had, and I asked her if she thought she'd be interested, and she said she would. So I invited her to leave the church and follow me in her car and go down to a restaurant, and we'd have a cup of tea and talk about it. So we went down there. We're sitting there talking about this, and I looked over at her, and I said, Cheryl, why would you want to leave your career and come to work with me in the ministry? I said, have you had a word from God? And she says, I have. <laughs> and she said, but... I don't want to tell you what it is, <laughs> because she said it might offend you. said it was personal. And it was very personal, she said. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, okay, but if you had a word from God, I want to know what it was. And she said, well, okay. She said, I had a dream last night, and in the dream, I was married to you. And I said, well, this morning, I woke up with a vision of you, and the Lord spoke to me and told me you're supposed to be my wife. So I said, how would you like to come to work for me in the ministry as my full-time helpmate? And she reached across the table and tucked my hand and said, I would love to. Now, I realize not very many people get engaged when they've never even held hands. But we had never held hands. But a week later, just so you'll see how things work, almost a week later, we had our first date. We were sitting out in front of a restaurant and talking again. And we talked till 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. And she's in her, her car, and I'm just sitting there talking with her. Just to show you what God will do, if you'll be obedient and serve Him, but you still have to do things by faith. She cranked the car up about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, and I said, what are you doing? And she said, well, my feet are cold. And I said, well, it's not cold outside. She said, but I'm cold. I said, well, I said, have you had this problem very long? And she said, all my life said, my feet and legs have been cold all of my life. I said, well, you don't have to have that. That's right. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, Jesus made us a promise in his word. Mm-hmm. All these promises are conditional. 
All these promises are based around walking in obedience to His Word, loving Him, serving Him, doing what He says. I said, Matthew eighteen nineteen. Jesus said, Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father, which is in heaven. That's, right. That's a pretty awesome promise from the King. And it totally revolves around your walking in obedience to His Word, loving Him, praying to Him, talking to Him, and serving Him. So I told her, I said, you don't have to have those cold feet and legs. I said, if you will just take your shoes off and throw your feet over the console there. She had a Suburban. We was in her car, sitting in her car. And so she throwed her feet over the console with her shoes off, and I began to caress the lower portion of her legs from her knees down and asking the Father in the name of Jesus to open the arteries and the veins and everything in her legs so that the blood would flow perfect so she wouldn't have cold legs. And after I prayed the prayer, I thanked the Lord for doing it because he said, in all things, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. So then I asked Cheryl, I said, do you agree with my prayer? She said, yes, I do. I said, well, would you thank the Lord for restoring your legs? And she said, thank you, Lord. The minute she said thank you, her legs, where I was holding them, got really nice and warm right under the palms of my hand. And from that day to this, she's never had cold feet. Never had cold legs. That's right. But one last story before I get into what I'm going to do. I was just happened to turn to Psalm 91 when I came up here. And he clearly tells us, he, any one of us that makes him the most high God our dwelling place. And we abide in him. And we'll say of the Lord, he's my refuge and my strength. In him will I trust. And I'd done that all, technically all of my life. I'd served him. He says in verse 3, he will protect you from the snare of the fowler. Now, just a few weeks ago, her and her daughter Christy had been singing somewhere, and they were getting a bunch of equipment ready, and because they were fixing to go out to California to sing for some people on a kind of a party, retirement party or whatever it was, a company party or something. They were getting everything ready in the car, so they were up extremely late that night. I was home making radio shows. So about 12.15, 12.30 in the morning, I got through making radio shows Well, I went to bed. I didn't know what time she'd be home, but I knew they'd be late. I, I knew they was getting the stuff ready. So all of a sudden, I don't know what time it is, the Lord spoke to me just as clear, and he said, Thurman. I turned and looked, and I said, yes, Lord. And he immediately showed me either a vision, a dream, or whatever. I don't know, but I saw it in living color. I saw her driving down the street in her car. I saw her pull into a car wash. I saw her get out and take the wand to wash her car. And I saw a man come from each end of the island and was going to attack her. And when I saw that, of course, immediately I was awake. And I got up and I grabbed my cell phone and I pushed the button and it said 1.54 a.m. in the morning. And I pushed her button and immediately she answered. And she said, hi, honey, what are you doing up so late? I said, she said, I expected you to be in bed. I said, well, I was in bed and I was asleep. But I said, the Lord just showed me a vision. And he spoke to me. And she said, what did he say? I said, first of all, where are you? And she said, well, I'm 26. I'm five minutes from the gas station. I'm fixing to stop and fill my car with gas so it'll be ready to go to California in the morning. And then I'm going to pull down the street to the car wash and I'm going to wash my car. Mm-hmm. I said, nope. Not tonight. I said, the Lord just showed me a vision that you were attacked in a car wash, washing the car. So I said, 
you're coming home tonight. She said, I'm not even stopping for gas. I'll be right home. Let me tell you, if you will be obedient and serve the living God, He will speak to you. He will give you revelations and dreams and visions. And He will do exactly what He said in His Word. I will protect you from the snare of the fowler, which is the devil. So when he tries to kill you or take you out, the Lord will not let that happen. But you must be walking in obedience to his word for those things to work. So that's how we came together. And we've been married a little over nine months now. And uh, it's been a blessed time. And trying. At a trying time. Yeah, we've had some problems, but not very many. Nothing we can't overcome, right? That's right. Praise the king. Love you, honey. Love you. Now then, praise the Lord. <laughs> Lots of people ask, how did we get together? Well, it was a very, very unique experience, I will have to say. Right here in Psalms 91, where I was reading just then, how many times have I read this book? And when I read this book, it's like I'm reading a novel and not an owner's manual. But this book is an owner's manual. This is a book written by the Creator to the created being. And he means everything he says in this book. Everything. When he tells you something, he will do exactly what he said in this word. He cannot change. People, people will say to you, well, I've got a deal. Me and God's got our own thing. No, I'm, nobody has their own thing with God. He made the deal right here, and he gave it to us. In this book, and he does not change for anyone. Now, it breaks my heart, just literally breaks my heart when the devil gets in there and deceives mankind. So mankind is deceived and they go do their own thing. They, they hang out in the wrong places. I mean, they go and they're, they're in the world. I mean, they're out drinking and carousing and taking the Lord's name in vain and all the things they're doing and they have no idea what they're doing. They have no idea because they've never read the owner's manual. So they don't know what they're doing. And those people are sick and afflicted and everything because they're living in the devil's world. And the devil come to steal, kill, and to destroy. But the Lord come to destroy the works of the devil. And he did it. But it's amazing what all God has provided in here. But we don't believe it. Now I'm going to read just a little in this right here. In Psalms 91, he says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. He's my God. In Him will I trust. You know what it means to dwell in the secret place of the Most High God? That means to wake up in the morning and the first word out of your mouth or even in your spirit, is to praise and worship the King. To praise Him and worship Him and thank Him. It means to get up praising Him and worshiping Him. It means to go to brush your teeth or take a shower or whatever you're doing, praising Him for the water, for the toothpaste, for everything He's given you. To go sit down at a breakfast table or something and say, Lord, I praise You and thank You and ask You to bless this food or this glass of juice or whatever it is to my body. All through the day, never cease, all day long, be in constant communications with the king. That's dwelling in the secret place of the Most High God. When you do that, when you're in there, you go to bed with him at night, 
And the last thing you tell him before you go to sleep is, Lord, I love you. I want to tell you how much I appreciate you giving me one more day to love you and serve you. He says, if you will do all those things. Then he said, surely, in verse 3, he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the noiselum pestilence. Now, in the King James, where it says noiselum pestilence, it actually means raging epidemic. So whenever the devil comes and brings these raging epidemics to you, the Lord will deliver you from those so you don't have to have any sickness and disease if you'll be obedient to serve the king. Your obedience is something that I used to think I understood, but I didn't, by no means. I didn't understand when God says, I am a jealous God and I will share you with no one and no other gods. I didn't realize what he meant. When he says, you're to have no other gods before me. You're to put nothing before me. I didn't realize the seriousness of that statement. But one time, I had a man, 42-year-old young man at the time. This had been 20 years ago. But this man was 42 years old, and every time I was in church, I saw him. He was in church. I didn't think there was a better Christian on the block. This guy was a great Christian. He came to the church. He served the Lord. He was there Sunday morning Bible study, Sunday morning worship service. He was there Sunday evening. Sometimes he was even there on Wednesday evening. He was just a great young man of God, I thought. But I didn't realize <clears throat> what this man's life was like during the week. This man was 42 years old at the time, and he and his wife were physically fit better than any two people I had ever seen in my life. There was not a fat cell on either one of them. They were perfect. I thought, wow, that couple, probably both of them lived to be 120. But when the Lord says that physical exercise profits little, but spiritual much, he meant what he said. Here's a couple that had exercised physically and was in great shape. Now, I believe everybody should exercise physically, and I think you should keep your temple in great shape for the king. Don't get me wrong. I believe we should do everything in moderation. We should love the Lord. We should take good care of this temple. No two ways about it, because he gave it to us and he told us to do it. But the spiritual, I had no idea at that time that all sickness and disease begins in the spiritual realm. But this young man, although he was in church, virtually every time church was open, but I didn't realize from Monday through Saturday where he walked. Now, he was an honest man. He was faithful to the Lord. He didn't spend any time reading the Word much, maybe a little bit once in a while, but very little. He was Mr. Business Monday through Saturday. He had his own business. He worked hard. He was diligent. He made a fairly good living. He was a very, very wonderful young man. But at 42 years of age, this young man got to feeling extremely bad. He got to feeling weak. And he, didn't, he couldn't run. He couldn't lift. He couldn't ride bicycles like he used to. He was short of breath. He didn't understand what was wrong. So he goes into a hospital. They give him some checks. And first thing you know, they've got him in for exploratory surgery. They open him up and look inside of him, and he has the final stages of one of the fastest-growing cancers in the world. They saw him back up and said, there's no hope. No hope. The Lord 
was training me, and he's still training me, but that was definitely in my training, uh, earlier training years. At that time, I had never seen a miraculous healing like this. But anyway, <clears throat> when I got in that Wednesday night, I was told that this gentleman was in the hospital and he was very critical. And so I went up to see him. When I went up there to see him, I knocked on his door and his lovely little wife came out. And I said, how is your husband? And she said, well, Thurman, they opened him up today and looked inside of him. And he has stage four lymphoma, terminal cancer in every organ of his body. And there's no hope he will be dead in a very short period of time, a few weeks or maybe a couple of two or three months at best. No hope, no chemo, no radiation, nothing. There's nothing they can do. Well, for some strange reason, when she told me that, God spoke to me just as clear and told me. He said, tell him, he called his name and everything. He said, tell him to call the men of the church to pray over him and I will heal him. And I thought, wow, this really put me in my faith as a Baptist. And that's what I was at the time, a Baptist. And I'd been a Baptist all of my life. <clears throat> now I'm non-denominational, but at that time I was still a Baptist. That really put my faith to the test. And so I went out of there that night saying, Lord, you did not understand what she said. She said he has terminal cancer. Can you imagine a man making that statement to God? Well, that goes to show you how little of a box I had got in. So I went home and I began to research the scripture. And then I found this magnificent promise in James 5.14. James chapter 5, verse 14, is a guarantee from God to heal you. Every time. I do not understand why we in the church will not believe that promise. James 5, 14 says, Is any sick among you? Any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, have them anoint him with oil, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. It says, The Lord shall raise him up. And if your sickness is due to a sin, the Lord will forgive the sin, and the Lord will raise you up. He said, therefore, confess your faults one to another, and pray fervently for one another, because the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I thought, wow, isn't that amazing? <clears throat> How could I have been a Baptist? How could I have been a deacon? How could I have been a Sunday school teacher so many years and never have seen that verse? But I had never saw it. It was not there for me. I, it was like it was not in the Bible. But all of a sudden, it is in the Bible. I went over to his house and tried to get him to believe that. They sent him home next Sunday to die. I went over there to try to get him to believe that, and he wouldn't. He would not believe what was written in the Word of God. So anyway, I tried everything I could over the next few weeks. I went to the hospital every time he was in the hospital. And he was in two or three days at a time, pumping his lungs as he was dying. And I finally told him, I said, you know, the Word of God says, faith comes by hearing in Romans ten seventeen, It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. I said, what you need to do is you need to just read those verses out loud until faith comes. And then you need to call me and I'll call some of the men of the church and we'll pray over you and anoint you with oil. And I said, Jesus will heal you. Well, finally, Monday night of the third week, he called me. And when he did, we went over. I called a bunch of men. And, of course, we met and we anointed him with oil. That's the first time, I guess, any of us had ever seen that done in a Baptist church. But we met and 28 of us men 
anointed that man with oil and prayed the prayer of faith over him. That's the longest prayer meeting I'd ever been in in 1986. 1986, I had never prayed more than 15 minutes at one time in my life. But that night we prayed two hours. We were diligent. That was, I thought that was an awesome prayer meeting. Two hours. Nobody in a Baptist church I'd ever been in had ever prayed two hours for anything. But we did that night. And the man began to get well. He didn't get well quickly, but he began to get well. And he was getting well. And he's, as he was getting well, he asked the Lord a question. He said, Lord, why me? That's a good question to ask. If you're sick and afflicted, it's a good question to ask God. Why am I sick? He will tell you. He told this man, and this is the way he told him. When he said, Lord, why am I sick? He dropped his Bible like this, and it fell open. And it fell open to a psalm that I'm almost right here at. In fact, where I am in that one, I'll just turn right over. It's only a couple of pages. Over to Psalm 106. And his Bible opened right there by just laying it down on the cover. On the back, it opened up to 106. And he said, I love the Psalms. So he said, I'll just read. So he started reading the Psalms. And he's getting down through here. And he comes down to verse 9. It says, And he rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. And he saved them from the hand of him that hated them. And redeemed them from the band of the enemy, the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered the, their enemies. There was not one of them left. Then believed they his words, they sang his praise. They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel. Isn't that amazing how you can see all these miracles and almost immediately forget who God is? Well, I've come to realize that faith does not come by seeing miracles. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. It's just exactly the same for these people. These people had seen all these miracles that God had delivered them out of the land of Egypt. He would rebuked the Red Sea for them. He saw the waters open up and they walked through on dry ground. Plus all these other miracles they had seen. And then they believed His Word and they sang His praise. That's in verse 12. And the very next verse says, They soon forgot His works. They waited not for His counsel. How many times do we forget His works and not wait for His counsel? We want to do it our own self. He says, But they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and they tempted God in the desert. That's just kind of like the rest of us. And he says, and he gave them their request, <clears throat> but sent leanness unto their souls. That night, he happened to be reading in the NIV. The NIV right there says, and he sent a wasting disease to destroy you. He immediately knew. That because he had not put God first in everything, because of God's jealousy, he was only in the house of God one or two days a week at best. And the rest of those days he was out in the world. When he was out in the world, that's the devil's playground. So the devil had hit him with this disease, this wasting disease. And here he had stage four lymphoma, terminal cancer. And he was supposed to die at 42. But in God's mercy, he needed to train me. 
And I am grateful for all the training periods I've had. Because the Lord spoke to me in front of his room, told me what to do, and I did it. And God healed that man. That, that was in 1986. This is 2005. That man is still alive and well and has never had any cancer in his life since that day. That's nearly 20 years, 19 years. A man that 19 years ago, at 42 years of age, was on his deathbed that every doctor in Louisville Hospital said, You cannot live. M.D. Anderson checked the results, and they said you cannot live. Several of the big hospitals, he had at least three major reports from three places and said, there's no way you can live with the cancer you have. It's over. But because he did what God says, and I'm going to tell you, I believe with all my heart, God used that man's sickness to train me, and he healed him. Although he didn't have to, he did to bring me to where he wanted me to be. And I am so grateful for that. But I didn't know the second part of that for a long time. Four or five years, I guess, went by. One day I was just sitting talking with this man. I hadn't seen him in a couple of years. So I called him one day and asked him if we could, I could come over and we could sit and talk or something. I just liked to reminisce about what God did for him. So he said, sure. So we got together and we were sitting there and I said, would you tell me about all the instances that happened during this entire ordeal, how God healed you? What he, when he told me about the part about Psalms 106, I heard that for the first time. He said, now, Thurman, I'm not going to tell you that I believe that everybody sick with cancer has done what I did. They've not put God first. But he said, in my case, that's what happened. And I got to thinking. And as I thought about many a scripture I'd read in this book, I thought, you know, now I know why lots of people are sick. I know why lots of Christians are sick. Because Psalms 91 says that if we will dwell in the secret place of the Most High God, that don't mean on Sunday. That don't mean on Wednesday. That means 24-7. If you will dwell in the house of the Lord, you'll watch over, He'll watch over you and protect you. He will keep you from the snare of the fowler and from this raging epidemic. You won't ever have to be sick again. But you'll have to walk in obedience and holiness. Now then, tonight, of course, I won't point out the lady. I don't know if she would want it or not, but I wouldn't want her picture taken or nothing. But there's a lady in the audience tonight that I didn't know until I got here tonight. But when I walked in, I met her husband and her and her daughter. And she immediately looked up at me with a loving smile, a smile like Jesus, and she said, I want you to know we love you. And I thought, ma'am, why do you love me? And she said, because your teachings and your tapes have set me free from, I think she said, a nine-year sickness. Many years she'd had this problem. And she said, when I heard your teaching, I realized it was my unforgiveness towards someone. And she said, I got rid of my unforgiveness. And she said, my sickness went away. Now, isn't that amazing? When God said something in His Word, He means it. But we read these things and we don't believe them. But right here, He clearly said, He will deliver us from the snare of the fowler and from the raging epidemic. He shall cover us with His feathers, and under His wings shall we trust. 
His truth shall be our shield and our buckler. You shall not be afraid. You shall not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the error that flies by day. What do you think that is? That is the enemy. <coughs> when you go to <coughs> when you go to Ephesians six sixteen, you will find there <coughs> that your shield of faith protects you from the fiery darts of the devil. Those fiery darts of the devil are literal. They are real. They're in the spirit world. But those fiery darts is what brings pain and sickness and disease to our body. When we sin, we open the door to the devil. I'm going to tell you something right here. I told this in a church I was speaking at the other day, and a man came up after, and he said, whatever you do, you need to tell that everywhere you go. He said, it opened a whole new world to me. I said, well, okay, I'll just let the Lord lead me, and I'll do it as he leads me. Here's something I've learned. I had read Romans chapter 13, no telling how many times. I had read it over and over and over and over. But most of the Bible I've read over and over and over. But one day I got revelation in in Romans chapter 13 that there's two worlds that he's talking about, not just one. I know there's two worlds, and that's obvious. The world that we live in is a physical world. We see it, we know it, we feel it, we smell it, everything. We taste it, we know the physical world is real. But the spirit world, most of us are not sure of it. We don't understand it, we can't see it, so we don't know how it operates. The only place you can learn about that world is in the Word of God. No other book in the world can teach you about the spirit world. Only the Word of God. But let me give you an example of these two worlds. Both these worlds have an executive department. Now, what I mean by that, in this world, this physical, tangible world we live in today, there is an executive department, let's call them the police officers. Now, if we didn't have these guys, we'd be in bad shape. I'm going to tell you that in the physical world, in any city you live in, in the United States or in the world, but especially in the United States of America, if you were to take the, the physical world that we live in and you were to tell every police officer, you guys are terminated for the next two weeks or you're on two weeks vacation, all of you go on vacation at the same time, there will be no law officers on duty for two weeks. I can only imagine what would happen in that two weeks. I can only imagine. I mean, I can get out here on the highway with some of you, and some of you are Christians, and some of you are Christians and are driving 70 and 80 miles an hour when there's not a police officer around. But that should never be. As God told us as Christians, we are to obey the laws of the land. He clearly told us that in Romans 13. He said, that's why we have these guys, so they keep you in check. But we break the laws too. But when we get caught, we fuss. But... The executive department is a police force, and they're in this physical world. So, sometimes we get caught when we break the law, and sometimes we don't get caught when we break the law. But I've come to realize in the spiritual world, there is another executive department, and it is Satan and his demons. This host of demons is limited by what they can do by your sin or your obedience. 
The only problem is you got one or two of them or more of them assigned to you 24-7. You are never without them. They've been sent to you. There's billions and trillions of demons, fallen angels, and I'm telling you, there's not a, not a lack of those guys. So if you were driving down the road in your car and there was two police officers following you, how many times would you speed? You wouldn't. You're not that dumb. You know that if you speed and there's two police cars following you everywhere you go, if you make a turn, you're going to make sure you turn your blinker on. You're going to make sure you give a hand signal. You're going to make sure you stop right. You're not going to run when a light changes yellow. When you're still 100 yards from it, instead of speeding up to go through it, you would stop like you're supposed to. Instead of running through that light, looking to make sure there's no policemen around. Those, that's the way we normally do our life. Normally, but if there was two police officers following you, you would not do that. Because if you did, one of them is going to stop you and give you a ticket. If you did that very long, it wouldn't be long, you'd be in jail. Be real simple. They'd take you off the street. But what I've learned about the spirit world, you've got demonic spirits assigned to you, and they're with you all the time. When you break God's law, when you break His rules, when you step out of a love walk, the, the grace walk, the Word of God says... As Christians, we're not under the law. We're under grace. But under grace, the requirements are more stringent than they are under the law. Under the law, you had to commit adultery to be guilty. Under the law, you had to kill your brother to be guilty. Under grace, all you got to do is get mad at him to be guilty of murder. And all you got to do is look at a woman to lust at her in your heart, and you're guilty. You're guilty. You've transgressed the law of God. So when you transgress God's law... Paul says in Galatians 5, you fall from grace. You don't lose your salvation. You fall from grace. You transgress the law. And he said, when you transgress the law, that's sin. And sin is the transgression of the law. And when you transgress the law of God, when you fall from love, from grace, the devils have a legal right to get you. And that's when we get sick. That's when they come in and get us. When I learned that. I learned that the Lord told me to walk in love. He said, I command you over and over and over to walk in love. And if you'll walk in love, he says, you'll fulfill all of the law and the prophets. And then he goes on to say, when you keep all of these requirements, just like he says in Psalm 91, he says, he will protect you from the fowler and that you will have none of these sickness and disease. Then... And you come on over just a little bit before we get on there. Let me go over to Proverbs, a few chapters. And I've got just a few little other places. I've got lots of places that I confirm this to you. But on Proverbs 19.23, I've taught the book of Proverbs before. It's amazing how every time you teach it, you learn something new. But in Proverbs 19.23, it said, The fear of the Lord tendeth to life. The fear of the Lord. What does that mean? The fear of the Lord. The fear of His rules. What He said He will do, what He says He won't do. But it says, The fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be vested with evil. In other words, if you're walking in obedience to the Lord, it'll increase your life, and you will not be vested with evil. Who is the evil one? Satan and his demons. Now then, let me go to a place that's even clearer than this. Let me go over to 1 John 5. And I want to show you something here. When you get over to 1 John 5, to be able to walk in divine health, 
you must do it God's way. And these, this book, when you begin to read this book, in fact, I had a person that was listening to one of my tapes the other day, and I was teaching on this, and that person was a scholar of the Word of God. And they said, when I heard you make this statement, they said, there is no way that's what that book says. They paused the tape, went back and got their Bible, opened it, and read it, and they called me and said, I have taught the book of First John. I have read that book, but I had never understood it like I understand it now. And he said, you taught it like you got it the first time. Well, I told him, believe me, I didn't get it the first time. There's no telling how many times I read this myself. But in First John 5, 18, listen to what it says. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Well, I will say the first time I read that, I thought, goodness gracious, am I really a child of God? I mean, this says I'm not supposed to sin at all. Now, I had been raised up in a denominational church that told me I was a sinner saved by grace, that I was just an unworthy sinner saved by grace. And I, I believed that. And so when you believe you're an unworthy sinner saved by grace, you'll never see yourself in the light where you can approach the throne of God, where you can ask Him to do miracles. You'll never see yourself like that. But what you have to do, you have to see yourself like the Word sees you. The Word sees you the righteousness of God in Christ. So when you see yourself as a king or a priest of the king of the universe, that He sent you as His ambassador to speak for Him, then you can go and you can speak in faith, and you can see the king do great and mighty things. He will honor what you say. But... When you come over here, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Well, I went and read some other uh, people's interpretations of this, and I found out that they're saying that we don't practice sinning. I thought, okay, I can buy that. We know that whosoever is born of God does not practice sinning. Now, that was a little easier for me to stomach, but to say that whosoever is born of God never sins was a little more than I could grasp at the time. But he says, But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself. Keepeth himself from what? From sin. And he says, And that wicked one toucheth him not. When I got a hold of that, I thought, My goodness gracious. This goes right along with all the rest of the Scripture. If I can keep myself from evil, if I can keep myself from sin then I don't have to worry about the devil. The devil will keep, the Lord will keep the devil off my back. Then I read this in Psalms 91. And I thought, Lord, this is exactly what you're saying in Psalms 91. If I will walk in obedience to your word, if I'll do what you say, and I'll make you the Most High God my dwelling place, you will protect me, you will keep me from the, the snares of the devil, and when the raging epidemic comes around to come to my house, you won't let it come to me. And then I thought, well, let me read on. He shall cover me with his feathers, and under his wings shall I trust. His truth shall be my shield and buckler. I shall not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flies by day. And that's totally from the devil. Then he says, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wastes at noonday. Wow. All this revolves around me making the Most High God my dwelling place. He says, a thousand shall fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. I went to Vietnam. There's men fell everywhere over there. 
Praise God. I came back without a scratch. I am so grateful to the King. I made Him the Most High God, my dwelling place. I sought Him. I worshipped Him. I praised Him. And none of this happened to me. He says, only with your eyes shall you behold and see the reward of the wicked. Well, I saw plenty of that. I saw a lot of that, although I didn't understand it. He says, because you have made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, your habitation, there shall no evil befall you. Isn't that amazing? You make God, you make the Lord Jesus Christ your refuge, and you make Him your habitation or your dwelling place. You live in Him day and night, 24-7. And He says, no evil shall befall you. There it is again. The devil shall not come upon you. He cannot do anything to you. Neither shall any plague come near your dwelling. No plague, no sickness will come near your dwelling. This is my dwelling place. This is my house. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. He, God, shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. They shall bear you up in their hands, and you shall not dash your foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder. You know who that is? The devil and his demons. I can tread upon the lion and the adder. The young lion and the dragon shall you trample underfoot. That goes right along with what's written in the New Testament. In the New Testament, Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, if you have given no place to the devil... Jesus said, Behold, in Luke 10, 19 and 20, says, Behold, I give unto you power or authority to trample or to tread on the serpent and his scorpions, Satan and his demons. All power is given to you over them. They shall in no wise hurt you. He said, Nevertheless, don't rejoice that the evil spirits have to be subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Awesome promises. Awesome statements. But when you get in the Word and you see this, now you begin to understand, Lord, all i got to do is walk holy before you. Walk in obedience to you. Make you my the Most High God my dwelling place. Love you. Worship you. Don't be ashamed of you. Get in the van with a bunch of people. Say, praise God. Who in here loves Jesus? And somebody says, I don't even want to hear it. Don't talk to me about it. Well, hey, if you're in the van with me and locked up, you're in trouble. You're going to hear about Jesus. Because He's the most powerful thing in my life. He's the most awesome thing there is. I love him. And then he says, because you have, because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. And how many times have I done that? I have called upon the Lord many times and he has answered me. Right now, I don't know how many times that God has spoken to me. I have lost count. What a wonderful problem to have. I know he's spoken to me in an audible voice and at least 30 times. But, praise the King. He said, he shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's what's available to you and I if we'll make the Most High God our dwelling place. Now then, praise the Lord. I'm going to let the girls sing another song. I don't know where they are, but uh, where, where are my ladies? 
I get my ladies out here. I can't see with these bright lights up here in front. Here they come. They're right here. I'm going to let them sing another song, and then we're going to come back and talk about some other things. So, are you girls ready? Getting there. Praise the King. Okay, we're going to let them sing a song, and then we'll come back and talk some more about the Word. This next song is about what he's been talking about, that we need to love and serve Jesus.
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This, this beautiful music, these girls, uh, my wife writes that music, and uh, she writes it around our teaching. And this is all these songs she has written since, uh, basically all of them, since uh, she's been coming to my church and, and since we've been married, most of them. But uh, it's amazing that the Word of God is so quick and so powerful, and it does so many things. Now, I realize that a lot of people that are out there viewing are Christian, but I realize some of you are not. Some people that are Christians or say they are say, I can't read the Bible. I don't understand it. Well, if you can't understand the Bible, then I believe you need to get saved because I really don't think you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because the Word of God says that He is our the Holy Ghost, He is the one that interprets the Word of God to us. And if you are saved and you can't understand it, then you're living in disobedience. You're not doing what the Word says, because when you start out with the Word, when you start reading the Word, and the Word tells you to do something, and you come upon it and you say, well, gee, I don't want to do that. Well, He'll show you two or three places in the Word where you're supposed to straighten your act up. And if you don't, then basically He quits talking to you, or maybe he doesn't quit talking to you, but your heart becomes so hard you don't hear him when he talks to you. One of the two. So, many people today believe this old book is just an old book. It does not mean what it says, but I'm going to tell you that I have learned in my life that this is the only book in the world that cannot be changed. It's forever settled in heaven. 
it means what it says, and you will be blessed or you will be cursed accordingly. Now, I'm going to tell you how serious this is. Now, there's a friend, a great friend of mine, and I don't know a man that's a better Christian than this man. I mean, this guy, I mean, he's walking in the gifts of the Spirit. He's serving the Lord, him and his family. He is a great man of God. He hears from God. God talks to him. He, he, he walks in an anointing. There's no two ways about it. But he told me this himself just the other day. He said, I, I got to tell you what the Lord did for me, or did to me, or whatever you want to say. He said, I normally get up. He said, I go to bed early, 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night, usually. And then I usually get up about 4 or 5 and spend at least 2 hours reading the Word talking to the Lord, praising and worshiping Him. But he said, the other day, I, he, he's, he, he loves football too. And he said, he was trying to watch the Aggies play a football game, because I think that's where he graduated. I think that's where he got his doctorate degree. <clears throat> but anyway, he loves football, and he had missed a game they had played. And so he went in on the Internet that morning, 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, and was able to pull it up and watch it. And so anyway, as he pulled it up, he was watching this football game during the period of time he normally uses it to worship and praise God. He said, I was way into the football game. I don't know how long, an hour, hour and a half or whatever. And he said, all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me and called my name. And he said, you're a whore this morning. You're a whore. I thought, wow. One morning. One morning, he didn't do what he was supposed to do, and God called him a whore. The more you learn about the Word of God, the more you realize the seriousness of putting God first. If you set aside a time that you're supposed to be with God, and you've done that every day, and then one morning you don't do it, it's kind of like saying, well, in the physical world, it's kind of like saying, well... I'll come home to my wife every day a week but one, and I'll go home with another one just one day a week. Well, I'm afraid your wife wouldn't like that. Or if you were the husband and your wife decided to go home with somebody else just once a week, just once a week, or maybe just once a month, or maybe just once a year, I'm sure if you were like me, you wouldn't like that. And God doesn't like that. And so when he told me that story, I thought, you know, every time I hear a story like this, the seriousness about God saying, I'm a jealous God, and I don't want to share you with anyone, it takes on a whole new revelation to me. It lets me realize how serious this is of serving God and putting Him first. I don't think there's any of us put God first as much as we should. If He wasn't merciful and gracious, I can tell you there's one guy standing right here that had been dead a long time ago. I am so grateful that the King is merciful and gracious. But since the Lord has given us eternal life for all of us that believe, I think about how merciful He is whenever, when I get into a vehicle with a group of men, or men and women, or walk up to someone in an airport, or in a place of business, or maybe at a restaurant, or whatever. I may say, good morning, ma'am, or good morning, sir, good afternoon, sir. Are you a born-again Christian? And some of them will just be startled. And they'll hesitate a minute and 
Well, they'll say, well, yes, but I don't go to church as much as I should. Why is it they come under that kind of condemnation? Because that's where they're living. That's where the Holy Spirit's convicting them. When you ask a person, are you a born-again Christian? And if it's really a born-again Christian, you'll know it. They'll just be bubbling. And you say, are you a Christian? Yes. And I go to Faith Tabernacle or whatever it is. They spit out the name of the church. And my pastor is so-and-so. And I love him. He's the best guy on the block. And you hear people talk like this. But those people are very few and far between in the church. The average church member today, I don't know what percentage of their time they spend with God, but I know it's not very much. I know it's not very much because I know there's so little power in the church. I know the hours that I spend with God. I know the hours I spend working for Him. I know the hours I spend reading and studying His Word. I know the hours I spend praising Him. I know the hours and the days, days and the weeks I have spent fasting and praying and seeking Him. And still, I see how little of an anointing I walk in compared to what's available. I think, wow, if I could just spend that time that I need to, to really seek God and put Him first like I really want to, if I would just shut out the world totally and completely and seek God totally, like Jesus did. Whenever he got baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon him, the first thing he did is went into the wilderness and fasted and prayed for 40 days and nights. He came out in the anointing of the Holy Ghost with power and authority. And he was able to do all kinds of wonderful things. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, all those things. Control the storms, speak to the sea, everything. Walk on the water. He could do everything, but yet he was a man, just exactly like you and I are. There's no difference between Jesus. He got tired, just like you do, just like I do. He went everywhere he went, walking. Traveled at the speed of walking, everywhere. Nothing supernatural happened. He was a man, but he walked in his supernatural anointing. So, I want to walk in that supernatural anointing. I have just touched the border of it just enough to know how wonderful it is. But when you spend that time fasting and praying, now, every time I have spent a few extra days fasting and praying, and the longest fast I've ever went on was 18 and a half days. And we came back from up north. We'd been up north speaking, Cheryl and I had. And we came back, and there was a, a young man up there. I think he was in about 20 but he had MD, and he was crippled. He couldn't get out of a wheelchair. And I spoke a couple of days and nights in that church, and I built those people's faith from the Word of God mountain high. And that young boy knew he was going to be healed when I prayed for him. And I knew he was going to be healed. But for some strange reason, he was not. I don't understand that. I don't understand why that boy didn't get healed. I came back. I mean, he had tears in his heart, and I certainly had them in mine. We got back. Cheryl told me, she said, Honey, I saw the tears, not only in your eyes, but in your heart. I know you wanted that boy healed. She said, You know what we lack, don't you? And I said, Yes, I know. She said, You don't spend enough time in prayer and fasting. I said, That's true. Because in Matthew 17, and the Lord clearly said that if I will fast and pray... I can overcome every obstacle there is. 
and nothing will be impossible with me. Nothing. That's a pretty awesome statement from the king. He says, unbelief goes away only by prayer and fasting. So she said, we need to go on a 40-day prayer and fasting. I said, honey, have you ever been on a fast? And she said, no. She said, well, she said yes, I went on a 10-day fast. I said, a 10-day fast? I said, was it water only? And she said, no. And she told me what she was taking. I said, that was a body cleanse. I said, that was a diet. That wasn't a fast. I said, there's a big difference between what you were taking for 10 days and what we're going to be taking for 40 days, and that's water only. She said, I want to go there with you. I said, well, praise the Lord for a woman that will be willing to go there with me. So we started a 40-day prayer and fasting. We got 18 days into this. We were still going, working 16 hours a day, seven days a week. We never got to take a break. We're working somewhere between the minister center, going out of town, speaking, speaking at conferences, and all the stuff we had to do. I guarantee we were working 14 to 16 hours a day, seven days a week, preaching the Word, teaching the Word, Bible studies, healing schools, everything. Praying for people, standing for hours and hours, just like the other day. I went and taught in a big church, 1,500 people there. I taught for two hours and 20 minutes, and then people came up for prayer, and people stood in line. I started at 12.20, and I finally quit praying for people at 12 o'clock midnight, and there were still people standing in line to be prayed for. The last 30 or 40 of them, we had them take their names, put their names in order, and we told them if they'd come back tomorrow afternoon at 2 o'clock, I'd pray for them until I got them all prayed for. It took me from 2 to 6 the next day. But when you think about who in the world would come in that morning, no breakfast, nothing to eat, no lunch, go up to a prayer room and pray for people for 12 hours, and nothing to eat, nothing to drink, nothing, all day long, praying with people, trying your best to teach them the Word of God. Well, let me tell you, I'm willing to pay that price. I did that. And out of that, out of that particular time, there was one family came back to me a few days later, and I remembered them well because one woman with four daughters came up to the prayer room up there, and I must have spent 20 minutes, at least 15 or 20 minutes, with just that family, and maybe longer. But a week later, they came to see me with the father, and they said that they had had a very serious disease which I couldn't remember the name of it, but it's something to do with uh, gluten or something like that, whatever it is. They can't eat wheat is what it was. I don't remember the technical names. If they, the mother, if she eat one bite of wheat toast, just one bite, it would take her two to four months to get healed as her insides would bleed because of that. They wanted to know what that was. said, the doctors don't know. I told them it's a demon. Amen. Everything's a demon. And I said... All you got to know is you got to make sure every sin is repented of. And you got to know that you're no longer under the curse. I said, this family is under a curse because of either your sins, your parents' sins, your grandparents' or your great-grandparents, or if somebody was born in your family out of wedlock, you're under a curse for ten generations. I said, but if you know it, you can break that curse. And as I explained to all those little girls... I guess the oldest one, maybe 10 or 11 or 12. I don't know how old they were, but little children. When I've taught those children from God's Word that they were no longer under a curse, that Jesus had redeemed them from the curse, they said, Mother, 
if Jesus has redeemed us from the curse, that means we're healed. That means we can go out and eat wheat. said, Mama, let's stop by the grocery store and get a box of Triscuits. I want some wheat. I thought, wow, the faith of a child. They left that afternoon. They went to the grocery store. Mama bought the stuff they wanted. And they started just pigging out on wheat, which they had never been able to eat in their life. They went home and they went to bed. And the devil gave the mother a dream. He said, you have killed your children. When you wake up tomorrow, they'll all be dead. Well, she worried about that that night. But the next morning when she woke up and went to the breakfast table, all of them were sitting there eating cereal and everything else. They were all healed. So mother said, I thought if it works for them, it'll work for me. So she asked the Lord to forgive her for her unbelief. And she went and made herself a full piece of wheat toast and she ate it. And she said, I've eaten anything I wanted since then and we're totally healed. Let me tell you, it's worth it when you pay the price that we've had to pay. It's worth it to see these things happen. But still, there's things out there and obstacles out there I have not been able to overcome. And that's when Cheryl told me, honey, we've got to go on this 40-day fast. So, we started. And we went 18 days. At the end of 18 days, that morning when I got up at the 18th day, she had worked just like I had. I got up to go out to the ministry center, and she got up, and she got a handful of clothes and took them and put them in the washer and went and laid down for 30 minutes. Then she got up and put another handful in the washer went back and laid down 30 minutes. I said, honey, you're not going to make it 40 days. There's no way you can make it 40 days. She said, I'm going to make it. I said, wow, what determination. But I said, I hate to be negative, but I just don't think you can make it 40 days. We're, just, we're not even quite halfway. So anyway... I went out to the minister center, and on the way home, I, I, was, I was really praying and talking to the Lord. And I said, Lord, what am I going to do? I said, my lovely wife that you've given me, she wants to go 40 days. But I said, Lord, in three days now, i got a speaking engagement up in the northeast. And I said, we've got to get on an airplane. We've got to carry baggage. And I said, Lord, I don't, I don't think, unless you do something supernatural, I don't think Cheryl's going to be able to make it. I said, She's really hanging in there. But I said, she's really showing weakness in these last few days. I said, what should I do? And the Lord spoke to me. He said, son, I told you in Luke 640 that no disciple can be above his master. And you're trying to be above your master. I didn't ask my son to do what you're trying to do. I asked my son to go into the wilderness and just seek me and pray and fast. He said, you're trying to pray and fast he said, you're fasting, all right. You're getting a little bit of praying done, but said you're getting a whole lot of work done. He said, you're working many hours a day. And he said, I did not ask my own son to do that. So you're trying to go above what I asked my own son to do. And I told you in my word, clearly in Luke 6:40, you cannot be above him. So he said, today your fast is over. I said, today my fast is over? He said, yes. I said, okay, Lord. So I go home and I tell Cheryl. I said, Cheryl, honey, the fast is over. She said, no, I'm not giving up. I said, well, but. I said, we got to quit. She said, no, I'm not quitting. I said, well, okay. She was so bold about it. I said, okay. So anyway, she didn't hardly have the energy to do anything around the house. And that night, we went to bed. We were laying there in bed. And uh, after we were laying there in bed a little while, I said, honey, uh, we need to break the fast. And she said, no, we're going to go at least 21 days. 
I said, you know we've got to go out of town in three days. That'll be the 21st day. She said, well, I know, but we're going to go at least 21 days, so we're not going to stop short of three weeks. I said, okay, that'll be halfway. I'm laying there in bed, and all of a sudden the Lord puts the hunger pains back in me, and all of a sudden my stomach begins to growl, and I haven't had a single hunger pain in 18 and a half days. But all of a sudden I am so hungry I can't stand it. See, the Lord can do all kinds of things. I flipped the cover back. It was about 1 or 1.30 in the morning. I hadn't slept a wink. I, I, she's not making a sound, so I don't know if she's sleeping or what. I throw the cover back, and I get out of bed. She says, where are you going? I said, I'm going in to make me a cup of hot tea with honey. She said, honey, that will break the fast. I said, I know. The fast is over. She said, okay. If you're going to have one, I'm going to have one. She said, in fact, I'm going to get up and make us a bowl of soup. So she got up and made us a bowl of soup. Three o'clock in the morning, we're sitting there having a bowl of soup, thinking about how good food is. I mean, when you've worked 16 hours a day for 18 and a half days, a bowl of soup sure does taste good. So anyway, we had one. And then three days later, I was back to full strength. But Cheryl was not back to full strength. She was still very weak. She couldn't even pull a rolling suitcase. I thought, Lord... When you said the fast is over and we had to quit this fast, I said, you really knew what was going on, of course. I said, but if I'd have went three more days, I believe Cheryl wouldn't have made it. Not at all. She would, no way she could have made it. But I said, Lord, I want to thank you for a woman that is so dedicated that she wants to see me walk in the anointing. She's even willing to give of herself beyond anything that I could dream of. I said, this is so awesome, Lord. That she is willing to pay that tremendous price for me and for these other people that she doesn't even know. But that's the compassion she has in her heart for those people. So it was, it was quite something to see the Lord do those things and to talk to me and tell me about that. But every time we do go on a fast or I've gone on a fast, it has increased my anointing. I've seen greater and mightier things every time. Now, after I've done a 14-day fast... I went to New Orleans, not to New Orleans, but Manny, Louisiana. I had fasted and prayed for 14 days. And then I broke the fast. And, of course, that fast was last Christmas, over the Christmas holidays, a year ago. And in 2003, I'd done a 14-day fast. And it's a terrible time to start a fast and prayer the first part of December. But I did. And everywhere I went, everybody wanted to feed me. It didn't matter what house I wanted to. Everybody had a plate of food. And I said, well, no, I don't believe I want any. And they couldn't understand why I wouldn't eat. But I wouldn't eat, and I didn't eat. And finally, the 14th day was just a couple of days before Christmas. And I thought, Lord, I, should, I picked a really bad time. So I'm just going to go ahead and eat over the Christmas holidays with my family. So I broke my fast, and I continued to pray. And that 14-day fast, I went to Manny, Louisiana in March. And while I was down there, they brought, I preached a couple of hours, and then they brought a woman, or actually she came up at the end of it, and she was shaking real bad. And I asked her what was wrong, and she said she had Parkinson and lupus. And so I reached up and laid my hands on her and said, Be healed in the name of Jesus, according to Mark 16:18. And instantly her shaking stopped. She got steady. And I didn't realize until a few months later when she called me, she had went to the doctor and for some, some check or some kind, 
And she had no Parkinson and no lupus. The Lord had delivered her from both of them. She was completely healed. I didn't know that it happened. I just knew her shaking stopped. But the next man I prayed for was a man sitting on the front row. This is after a 14-day fast and praying. The anointing of God was flowing in me, and I didn't even know what he was going to do. But I walked up to this man, and he had braces on his legs. And his name was Johnny Brumfield. He still lives there in Manny, Louisiana. I said, sir, I didn't know his name. I said, sir, what's wrong with you? He said, uh, 21 months ago, I was driving a tractor and a great big giant tree. He held his hands. I said, this big around. said, it fell across my tractor and it rolled over and crushed my legs and stopped just before it rolled on to crush me. But he said, they got the tree off of me, took me to the doctor. They done surgery on my legs, but my legs, my knees are so crushed The doctor says, I will never walk again. I said, well, sir, Jesus said he can do exceedingly abundantly above all we can think or imagine in Ephesians 3.20. And he said he can do that according to the power that works in us. That's him. Christ in us, the hope of glory. I said, in John 14.13, Jesus said, anything I ask the Father in the name of Jesus, he'll do it for me. I said, can I pray for you? And around those verses, and we trust the Lord that he'll heal your knees. He said, of course. So I laid my hands on that man's crushed legs, prayed the prayer of faith for him. I said, now, sir, we've got to believe. I said, do you believe? He said, yes. I said, good. I said, take those steel braces off. And so he did. He took those steel braces all off of his legs, and I reached down and took his hand, just like Peter did in Acts 3. And I said, now, sir, stand and walk in the name of Jesus. And he put some effort to it. He bent his knees, and I raised him up. And as soon as he come up, He said, oh, my knees hurt. I said, sir, I know they're going to hurt. The devil's going to do everything he can to get you not to believe the promises of God. But I said, don't believe him. I said, walk in the name of Jesus. And I give him a jerk, and he took a step. I give him another jerk, and he took another step. And I gave him another jerk, and he took a third step. And I said, praise God. I said, you're healed. I said, you're on your own. You're walking. And I turned him loose. had a podium just about like this one. And we were sitting over there on the front. He walked up here, and he walked around the podium three times, and every time he got faster. And the third time he went around, he broke and ran all the way to the back of the church and all the way back to the front with his hands raised, screaming, God is awesome. Let me tell you, God is awesome. Now then, if a 14-day fast and praying would let me see a man with those kind of knees instantly healed and a woman with lupus and Parkinson instantly healed, Can you only imagine what God will do if I can spend 40 days in prayer and fasting? Can you imagine what he'll do for you if you will seek him like that and spend all those hours meditating in his words, seeking him, seeking the king of the universe, telling him you want to be used of him for his glory. Lord, I'm fed up with playing church. I want to do something for you. I want to let you live through my life. I want to die to self like the Word of God says. I want you to kill this piece of flesh. I want you to kill it completely and totally. And after you kill this thing, then, Lord, I want to live to Christ. I want to live for you. And that's what I want to do. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I don't care about me no more. I don't want to do nothing for me. I want to do everything for you. Now then, if you're serious with God, He says, if you will die to your flesh... Mortify or crucify the flesh daily, 
and let me live through you, there will be no limits to what the king can do for you. Unfortunately, most of us are like I was most of my life. We don't want to give up the flesh. We enjoy living in the flesh too much. But if you live in the flesh, it'll bring forth an early death. It'll bring forth sickness and disease. But if you live for Christ, it'll bring forth eternal life and wonderful things. Now then, I want to show you some things here in Romans chapter 5 that it's just... I mean, I've read this and read this and read this, but when when you really read it slowly and let these words penetrate into your heart, it speaks to you. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are justified by faith. What does that mean? By faith. I used to think I understood what faith was. But now I think I'm just beginning to barely touch the hem of his garment in faith. But by faith or total trust in the word, total trust, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We're justified when we get saved. We're made just as if we've never sinned. We get a white robe, clean and pure, not a black spot, not a sin on it. We're brand new. And that's where we need to continue to walk. We need to continue to walk right there. And if we will, then there will be no limit to what God can do through us by faith. Because by faith, we speak by faith the Word of God, and these mighty things happen. Whenever I prayed over Johnny Brumfield, I did it by faith or by the Word of God. I quoted the Word. I acted on the Word. And then when he acted on the Word, it brought forth the healing power of Jesus into his flesh. And a man with two crushed knees that the doctor said would never walk a day in his life again under no condition would he ever walk. In two minutes, the King of Kings healed that man. And he's running up and down the aisles of that church screaming, God is awesome. I'm telling you. When you get to see the king of the universe do that, it'll blow you away. But there was a woman uh, right out here in the New Mexico area, uh, and she'd been in a wheelchair several years, and this was back in June of this last year. We came out here in New Mexico to speak at Hobbs, and there was a woman there who'd been in a wheelchair for years. And that woman, she didn't get out instantly, but she got up instantly, and then I kept coaxing her to move and to move. And her legs, she had not walked in so many years. We kept getting her to move back and forth, back and forth. Then I got her to twist her body a little. I dealt with her at least 15 or 20 minutes. And this is the thing you've got to realize. You can't just go up and pray for somebody and expect it to happen right there every time. You've got to realize if it doesn't happen right then, you stay with it. You stay with it until it does happen if you possibly can, if you've got that kind of time. But if you're willing to take the Word of God... And stay with it, like I did with that woman, for probably at least 15 or 20 minutes. She was taking little tiny baby steps. I finally got her out to the podium. And then I turned her, walked over to the edge of the church. And by the time we made that all the way across and back one time, she's taking half steps. And by that time, the church is gone wild. They're praising, worshiping the king. 
the anointing of the Holy Spirit begins to come into that place and that hit that woman and that woman's completely healed and she goes, she's running all over the church and she pushes her wheelchair outside and goes home. I'm telling you, the, it's here for you and me. It's the devil that we're fighting against. I don't care what anybody says. Every sickness and disease comes from the devil. I don't care if you've got a runny nose, it comes from the devil. Amen. In the last 20 years, I've virtually had none. There might have been a couple of times I've let the devil get through to me for a day or two or three with a runny nose. But I don't let him get there no further than that. I don't ever yield to those things. But he has not been able to put me down for over 20 years because I've walked in obedience to the Word. But the first 45 years of my life, he kept me down quite often. So you can, you can learn to do what I've learned to do, and I've learned it all reading this magnificent book. But you've got to read it like an owner's manual. Then he says here, as we go on down through here, he talks about, uh, in verse 9, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. In the atonement is healing. In the atonement is everything. But you have to walk with God. You have to spend time with Him. You have to confess Him and walk with Him and be obedient to Him. Now then, as long as you'll do these things, He goes on down to talk about how one man's sin entered into the world and by one man's sin was taken away from the world. And then in Romans 5.17, He makes an awesome statement. I don't know how many times I read this, but finally... The day come when I made a tape about how to reign. That's the title. I gave it, and I, I made it from this verse right here. When I got Revelation on Romans 5.17, I made an entire 90-minute tape, which is available to you, free and postpaid. And I haven't made that statement much tonight. I'm sorry I haven't. I know Cheryl did it first. But there's people standing by in our ministry center right now. If you want to call our ministry center... And our phone number, I'm sure they put it on the screen several times tonight. But you can contact our minister center. You can contact us through the website. And if you will do that, we will send you these tapes and these CDs, these DVDs and everything, including Cheryl's new anointed CD, Hers and Christie's music CD with all ten songs on it. We'll send you any and everything free and postpaid. We don't charge for anything we do. Not anything. So what we're going to do... We're going to make that available to you if you will just call in on our ministry numbers. And like I say, I'm so sorry I didn't give you that information earlier. I got too busy thinking about the Word of God, and I completely forgot to tell you. If you want these things, just call the number and, or email us, and we will send you anything you want. But right here, when he says in Romans 5.17... For it is by one man's offense that death reigned by one. Much more, they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. When you come to know the abundance of this grace and of the gift of righteousness, which is Jesus, when that becomes a reality to you, you will reign on the earth right now with Jesus. Now, to reign, you'll have to walk with Him. You'll have to live in Him. You'll have to die to self. If you die to self, in life by one, Jesus Christ. 
if you will die to self and live right there, you can do these great and mighty things the Lord tells us to do. Some people think that because of the grace that we have, you have the freedom to sin. But I'm going to skip right on over that to uh, chapter 6. He says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And here's the answer. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? This is an awesome statement. How can we that are dead to sin live therein any longer? If you're dead to sin, you should never sin again. But unfortunately, we don't stay dead very well. We resurrect this beast, this piece of flesh that we live in, and we abuse it every way in the world. We abuse it with drugs, alcohol, nicotine, sex, violence, fighting. You name it, we abuse this piece of flesh. And we wonder why this thing dies early. Let me tell you. You've got to walk in Christ to walk in the anointing. If you'll walk in Christ, you can reign. But to reign, you've got to do it in Him, and you've got to kill the flesh. Because technically, the flesh was killed on the, when we accepted Jesus 2,000 years ago. It was done. But it was not done for you until you accepted Him. When you accepted Him and you walked through the baptismal waters, He said you died to self. And you rose again to walk in newness of life. And I guess that's one reason the devil hates to see people baptized so. When you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart, you're born again. But to die to self, that's where you walk in this anointing and you will reign. Come on out here, girls. We're coming to the end of the time and we're going to let the girls sing one more song. And, and uh, if, like I said, if you need to be prayed for, you're over the air. Uh, if whatever, if you will repent of your sins and believe God, you can get healed. We will pray with you. We'll pray a prayer right here at the end. But you must repent of your sins, get rid of all unforgiveness to be able to receive your healing from the Lord. Praise the Lord. Ready for you girls to sing. In the name of the song is repent. Our music's getting a little funky every time we show up at GLC. This is based on Luke 13, 3. Repent, his will's out very clear. Repent, 
get through they get through they get through praise the king well you want to talk about that question before we get into these prayer requests yes we got a whole bunch of prayer requests here and uh i see so many of these uh tomorrow evening i think i think we're going to be back six to eight tomorrow night i believe six uh, to ten in there somewhere somewhere in there somewhere between six and ten but i'm going to try to address many of these problems that many of these men or women are having with their marital problems because they don't realize how they're opening the door to the devil Amen. when they're not doing what God says. When he put a man and woman together, he means for you to stay together. He means for you to love that woman and, and that man to love that wife. And, so, and when you don't, when you break that covenant, you open the door to the devil. And that's why you got these people on drugs, alcohol, pain, all these different things. You know, I've seen it happen over and over and over. You know, if people only knew what they were doing, they wouldn't do these things. But, I mean... How, he meant what he said. Yeah, he meant what he said. You know, I mean, I've just seen I've seen husbands and wives, and many of these prayer requests I've just read through. All of these are husbands and wife problems. And the thing about it is, when you got these problems, you got people in excruciating pain. You need to realize you've opened the door to the devil. 
You need to get right with God. You need to repent of your sins. And then you need to take the Word of God and come against the devil. You can kick him out. You know, as soon as you get your sins repented of. I mean, even in the New Testament, when Jesus came, what was John's message? Repent. 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 The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. What was Jesus' first words? Repent. Repent. And as people repented, then he healed them. It seems like we don't get that. We think that Jesus just came and healed everybody. But he healed them after they repented. He's still the same. Hebrews 13, 8, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. If you repent of your sins and call upon him in faith, he'll heal you. You don't need me there. You know, we will pray for all these people. But these people, like these people that are in excruciating pain. Well, I've got several people here that are in excruciating pain. But here's one person that looks like a lady that is in excruciating pain. She won't know about, am, if I'm taking my medicine, you know, is that okay or is that not okay? Well, first of all, you need to make sure you find out what the sin was. You know, do you have any unforgiveness? Do you, or you have been talking evil about people? Are you mad at your husband or do you have one? Or is he treating you right? And all these things. And when these problems are resolved, you know, then you can come against the enemy, rebuke him and command him to leave you, and your pain goes away. I've seen it many times. You know, I don't understand what people don't understand about these promises in God's Word. But he tells us that we must repent of our sins. And then if we believe, you can come to him on behalf of any number. If he made a... Just promises. They're just... Arms load of them in there, you know, in the Word of God. They're just from beginning to end of the whole New Testament, the promises God gave us. And He's so gracious and so merciful. The only thing He asks us to do is repent and walk holy before Him. That's all it takes. And then we don't have all this. We don't have all this cancer and sufferings and pain. Because what we don't like to hear, we don't like to hear that I'm sick because of of sin. Mm -hmm. But that's why we're sick. If, If we didn't sin... We would open no doors and there would be no sickness and disease. I learned it 20 years ago and I've walked in it in over 20 years. So I know that's true. But I see that we're running out of time here. we only got a minute and 15 seconds left. So only one thing to do. We'll pray for all these people. We'll believe God's going to heal them. And then tomorrow evening we'll try to discuss as many of these as we can. Amen. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you. That you're the merciful, mighty God you are. Yes, God. And I thank you, Lord, that you defeated the devil 2,000 years ago. And I want to thank you. You give us power over the enemy. So, Father, every human being out there that called in, Lord, help them to repent for their sins. Reveal to them what their sin is. And then, Lord, convict them that they need to repent. And, Lord, as they repent, I ask you to be merciful to every human being. That I've got a prayer request, whatever it is, that you will meet that need. You will heal their bodies or whatever their needs are. And may you do great and mighty things for each one of these people. And may they know it's you and that you've done it for them. And may you do it for them right now to show them, Lord, that you really do love them. And, Lord, I know you love them, but some people need that special touch. So do it for them tonight by faith in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Amen.